Welcome to Uproar in the Studio, your bi-weekly New York-based Chinese blockbuster podcast. I'm Noah. I'm Reza. I'm Andrew. This week we're talking about The Wandering Earth, released on February 5th, 2019. It made almost $700 million. You don't have to see it, we'll give a synopsis, but if you want to watch it unspoiled, maybe listen to the show after. Later we'll be talking with Mike Sway, one of the stars of The Wandering Earth. He told us more than we ever imagined there was to know about the mechanics of celebrity in China and about the massive machine that director Frank Guo mobilized to get this movie made. We'll also be talking about the movie with Lauren Teixeira, a Chengdu-based journalist whose work has appeared in Vice, Foreign Policy, and The Economist. But first, we're talking about the state of Chinese sci-fi before wandering Earth with writer Anna Wu, whose work has appeared in English translation in the Chinese sci-fi anthology Broken Stars. Here is our conversation. How did you first fall in love with science fiction? Like, what writers got you into it? Wow. <laughs> uh, it was like 15 years ago about. And uh, there is a famous magazine called uh, Science Fiction World in China. It was published in monthly. And uh, the first time falling in love with science fiction is because one of the short stories of Liu Cixin, also the writer, they won't do Earth, uh, Liu Cixin, and the name uh, of his short story is Village Teacher. Village Teacher. And the first time I, I see this novel, it's like uh, something like religion. So I'm, I'm not a person who has religion, but uh, I think the science fiction is kind of religion to me. It's very hard to describe that the kind of moment to me, but I think maybe it's meant to be. And uh, if, if you want, want me to talk, you know, like life emotionally, I think that I, that I love science fiction because uh, since a little little girl, I, I love literature very much. And science fiction is a very special kind of literature because it has this uh, logical and it's like the, the, the truth of everything, including the comic, the time, you know, everything about it, you can find something in it. And uh, every time I myself to get to know it. I find it harder and more interesting. So I think it is a perfect way to combine the beauty of science and literature together. So that's why I love it very much. Once you got into it, did you start reading into the history of sci-fi in China at all? Uh, sci-fi is begins in China actually in Qing period. Hmm. And the, the science fiction then, we see it in a different way because the government is encourage people that maybe we should read science fiction is because the use of science fiction to them is like education. Nowadays we say it's more like a profound or intimate. Uh, but I'm not, not not kind of professional in it. But I think it has a history in China, but not as long as in European or you know in America it has a golden age. Uh, but I think nowadays maybe it's the beginning of golden age in China. Could yeah, we start with Lu Cixin? Yeah. Can we? Could you just just initially describe what his sort of position in the world of Chinese sci-fi is now? Lu uh, Cixin, uh, the writer of the novel of the Unfounded Earth, has uh, I have been friends with him for many years. I think he is actually the best science fiction writer in China because you know. It's also the writer of the three body problem who mm. the Hugo Awards. And the Wandering Earth is also one of the best works of Liu Cixin. No, not not the only one, you know, one of the best short stories. 
profile among Chinese science fiction readers. But we have to pay attention that science fiction readers, not too much, you know, before in China. But Liu Cixi has created a, a new time mm. because uh, a lot of person who is not a science fiction fan before not, not began to read Liu Cixi's novel because of this movie. And many celebrities in political and business industry have followed Liu Cixi since the three-body problem. And when you earth is uh, Liu Cixi's first film adaptation. And everyone is looking forward to that. Could you describe the sort of person he is, the sort of life he leads, just okay. outside of simply doing the right? Like gossip or what? <laughs> no, no, not yeah, gossip. Just like. Um... Uh, okay. <laughs> what, what kind of person he is? I, I know a lot of his gossip, but I can't talk talk now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like what kind of uh, person is that? Uh, because he's an engineer, he mm. works in a company that uh, belongs to Chinese government for a long time. When you meet him, you think that he will be uh, the one who works in computer companies. <laughs> it's pretty, you know, like uh, a little bit shy mm. and pretty serious and pretty logical. And uh, he will not like to talk a lot uh, because I think the whole romantic imagination and passionate part is deep inside in his body. Deep inside in his body. And uh, Liu Cixi himself is a very smart and kind person. He's not that the kind of guy who is uh, have a lot of ambition. Some uh, celebrity or great, uh, a famous, successful person is that to make, to make a deal that I have to be, you know, number one. But Liu Cixi is not kind of person. He is not very interested in money or power. He's more like that. Uh, I want to know how the university works and why it was so interesting and fun. So I think that he's a very lucky guy who has find what he really wants deep inside. And that makes him pretty successful. Obviously sci-fi is often used to bring up interesting questions for people watching it. Do you think there's anything about yeah. Wandering Earth that speaks to something people have been thinking about in China? seems fairly late in the game for um, a, the first major sci-fi movie to come out. Why, why do you think there haven't been other ones before this? Like, I can say it's from, you know, two different parts. Uh, first of all, let's, let's talk, uh, talk about the movies. You know that uh, kids, to, to the Chinese, science fiction means hesitate and observe. Because before that, there's no successful example, mm. right? Thank you. 
like we see the the, the, the successful of the mountain earth again. So when when Chinese science fiction are made, we also need Western directors and the digital effects companies. Besides, mm. a large part of China's film market is not science fiction, right? And the good Western films will be still popular in China. And indeed, we need some help. <laughs> Some uh, some professionals, you know, a smart person to help us to join the Chinese science fiction movie industry. I think they will help us to make a better future together. So, do you think that、uh, this emergence of the sci-fi genre in China could be a new doorway for future co-productions between Hollywood and Chinese film studios? Yes, of course it it is. Actually, the Wonder Earth itself. Weta has cooperated. Yes, has cooperated with Western、uh, studios, and、uh, you know that I know that the Bufan, the director of the Wonder Earth, is that、uh, he has visited Hollywood a few years ago, and the way he directed this movie, there are a lot of impacts on Western movie industry, but there are still some difficulties, as far as I know, is that.、Uh, You know, it's like the the Chinese film market is、uh, has its own culture background, right? So it's not not that everything in Hollywood works will work in China.、Uh, I think that the thing is that how we deal with these problems is that、uh, you know, like、uh, we learn something good from the Western, and we kind of change it or.、Uh, Digressed into the things that the Chinese market will like. The Wonder Earth, the visual effect is pretty science fiction. You know, it's pretty kind of science fiction way. And a lot of our audience will make a question like, "Wow, is this really produced in China? Is this digital digital effect? Is are we good? So good now? I think this is kind of feeling of pride、mm. of science." Thanks to Anna Wu. Here's our conversation with Lauren Teixeira about the Wandering Earth. When the sun begins to expand and die, the governments of the world unite under the Wandering Earth project and endeavor to fly the Earth like a spaceship towards the nearest hospitable star on a journey that will span thousands of years. 
During this journey, the people of the Earth reside in underground cities while the planet follows a small spaceship leading the way. As Earth circles Jupiter to slingshot out of the Sun's gravitational pull, booster rockets around the globe malfunction due to Jupiter's immense gravity and the Earth begins to fall into the planet. As teams around the world scramble to repair the boosters, Liu Xi, a teenager in the underground city of Beijing, escapes the service with his adopted sister, Duo Duo. Together with their grandfather, a team of engineers, and Tim, a roaming Australian-born Chinese, they join the efforts to save the Earth. Meanwhile, Qi's father, Liu Pejiang, serves as a guide while stationed on the Helios spacecraft orbiting Earth. When all hope seems lost, Pejiang flies his individual craft into the space between the Earth and Jupiter, igniting the gas giant's flammable atmosphere and pushing the Earth to safety. Deus Ex Vodka, anti-American sentiments, and bureaucracy high and low. This is The Wandering Earth. So just to start off, um, Lauren, what did you think of Wandering Earth when you saw it? Okay, well, full disclosure, I didn't see it in theaters. I saw it on my computer on ITE, which is a Chinese streaming service. Uh, and I did have to watch it over three different days because I found it so slow. So uh, <laughs> I broke it up for myself. And um, I, I got a little better toward the end. I got a little more engaging toward the end to the point where I wasn't constantly checking my phone. But uh it was, uh, let's say, I think it would have benefited from seeing it on the big screen. I mean, I'm, I was maybe not fair to it by not watching it kind of in the, the place where you're supposed to watch blockbusters. That being said, yeah, I thought it was pretty unimaginative and uh, just um, middling at best. I think what's interesting is that we've got, like, two factions here. Reza and I both saw it in the theater and right. were, like, blown away by it. And then Noah and you both saw it, I guess, on computers and were very much not blown away by it. So it's it's yeah. one of those things, like, I remember, like, Avatar was, I remember seeing that on, like, a bus or something after it came out. And I was like, oh, wait, this movie is awful. The James Cameron one seeing that in theaters, it's like, wow, the spectacle of it is kind of amazing. And just seeing it on a huge screen and then, yeah, I guess it just does not translate. Just sort of like Wandering Earth maybe does not translate. For me, I, I definitely, like, even when I was watching on my computer, I did feel that. I felt like the design and the CGI especially is a lot better than in a lot of the other movies we've watched in this podcast. So I felt like seeing this on a huge screen, the spectacle would probably be there. But then just watching it on my computer at home, it's like, <laughs> okay. It's just a lot of, it's just because it's, you have the snow landscape and then the fucking uh, fire uh landscape and it's all just kind of looks like a blur it's kind of just a bummer to look at i guess is the way <laughs> that's <laughs> wild i mean i guess andrew and i've seen it both on a big screen and on a much on smaller like, a like screen yeah. yeah but i don't know about andrew but i loved it the second time too but oh. i guess i have good memories of i i think it is like the sort of nostalgia of like only a couple months now but like the nostalgia of being like Damn, I was blown away by that, like, theater experience. Just because the music, unlike the small screen, it's a lot less blaring. Yeah. I, it's, like, literally a physical experience to have that, uh... Like, that. there's that one shot where it spins away from Wu Jing inside that, like, chamber. And yeah. in, in the theater, that was amazing. But on the small screen, it was just like, oh, the camera's spinning. Yeah, and... Just, I had a particular something that looked like absolute dog shit to me was the, <laughs> the, so you know when they're like they're they're driving around China in the transporters, which by the mm -hmm. way is I agree with that actually, yeah, that that was bad. That looked like uh, Hot Wheels. <laughs> and they 
<laughs> it was like it was like that's like generous thing. It was like Hot Wheels. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, those there, drift like, scenes are bad. They're going to to Hangzhou or they're going to Sulawesi or whatever, and they put the little flag, the little CGI flag on the map. That looked like just the dinkiest shit to me. It drove me crazy. It was like. <laughs> Yeah, I don't like having guests on that disagree with us, man. <laughs> it ruins it. Ruins it. Well, I love this I too much. The backup. I appreciate the backup on my position. <laughs> you, well, you guys know what I'm talking about. The little, it looked a little yeah, too thick yeah. on yeah. the map, and that looked so. It looked like Oregon Trail or like one of those games <laughs> like when you're a kid on your computer, and it was I'm just so. Is like it would be in a kind of engaging moment, and then they would put on that little toothpick flag, and it looks so dumb. What about so, yeah. the like shots with like the like lasers beaming out of the earth? Was that not cool at all? I don't know. <laughs> I, just, like... so I think that's something that really didn't benefit from looking at a small screen because it kind of just looks like lasers beaming out of the earth, right? Because you just have one big orb and then a small orb. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> propelling towards <laughs> Jupiter because it's kind of a dumb or it's kind of just a very not dumb but it's a very simple idea like oh let's shoot a laser at Jupiter and we'll push it away and that's exactly what it looks <laughs> like you watch it like that and I think probably if you're reading the book it would come off as much more um of an imaginative idea uh mm-hmm. but here like shooting a laser at Jupiter um and uh, shouts out to the Israeli scientists for proposing that one, though. Um, yeah, they they gave uh, Israeli scientists a shout out there, which was <laughs> that was a good one. Yeah, there were a lot of different nice shout outs to nationalities. Uh, yeah, like throughout. a French guy who we were talking about at the end. Yeah, who actually saves the entire world because he disregards the United. Uh, yeah, whatever they're called, the United Government. United Earth and, Government. Yeah. Yeah, the, yeah. I mean, it was a massive movie, right? Even, you know, if you don't like it or not. But, like, I mean, w- was there, like, a public reception that you remember at all? Or, I mean, because oh, we watched it downtown in New York and it was a full theater. Yeah. Yeah, it got a. What was its release like? In a, it got, like, a full release in America or some. It was, theater? like, AMCs in, like, areas with Chinese, like, uh-huh. large Chinese populations. Okay. Yeah. I think AMC is owned by uh, Wanda. Yep. Yeah. One of our favorite facts. <laughs> oh man! I mean, you could do a whole podcast about that empire. His uh, his movie thing in Shangdao. Yeah. Oh, so here it was like it was the blockbuster of a uh, of the Chinese New Year season, and mm-hmm. um, I think it outperformed the Jackie Chan movie, which was supposed to be pretty bad. The I Night of Shadows at- one that just came out. <laughs> something like that yeah and um but the big online controversy about it was that uh there were two big factions the people who liked it and then the people who they didn't necessarily have a didn't like it but there's a lot of people on chinese internet who hate liu tzu-sin who's the guy who wrote the novella Mm. in space yeah and uh so those people on doban which is kind of like the chinese uh what's the equivalent it's like a kind of intellectual site more and i guess more intellectual than a lot of other things where you rate film and tv and it's kind of snarky maybe as snarky as you can get on the chinese internet and um 
on Doban, people started roasting it, and they gave it a really bad rating. And so then the supporters of Leo Tsitsin, they went into the app store and started giving Doban a bad rating. <laughs> nice. So it was kind of a typical Chinese internet feud. And, uh, yeah, I remember my friend telling me about that. But, yeah, it did well here. I uh, I do. I wish I had seen, gone and seen it in theaters, but I just couldn't be bothered. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, for a little bit, it was the the biggest blockbuster in for that year for the world, like the entire uh, world for a little bit. Yeah, like a it, quarter of the year. It was lucky to come out early, I guess. Curious yeah. to, to know, and I didn't look it up. Well, the the one fact that sticks in my mind from then is it did better than Ant Man, and I guess people saw Ant Man. Okay, yeah, yeah that means nothing to me, but I I trust yeah. that. Uh, <laughs> what's wrong with people who watch blockbusters man <laughs> do we want to talk about like it borrowing elements from lots and lots of other movies too oh yeah so yeah, in, sure. Anthony, in the questions he sent me he mentioned interstellar which is a movie i also haven't seen i didn't see any of those big <laughs> movies that came out in uh maybe around 2014. I remember when I first moved to China, a bunch of space movies came out. And Interstellar was one of them. And so I watched like the first 40 minutes of that on ITE. And man, are they similar. Yeah. Although so, I, I, I think Wandering Earth is better than Interstellar. But maybe yeah. that's just me. Really? It's I like, like, absolutely, absolutely. I like Interstellar yeah. so much better. Benefits from Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. No, it's a question Dude, of Matthew McConaughey uh, <laughs> space dad versus Wu Jing space dad. There's and, uh, a lot of space dads, and then a space father, and, <laughs> and then yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. Wandering Earth did like at least Gravity and Interstellar, and each of those movies it took probably less than five minutes to do, and <laughs> it's a lot more like totally like the drifting in space shit and Gravity that I had to sit through for I don't know three it fucking was a long hours. Movie, yeah. I mean, the entire end of this one, though, it just felt like it was every action movie climax trope just piled one after the other. Of Wandering Earth or Interstellar? Because I definitely agree no, about No, uh, the end of Wandering Earth. Yeah, oh my god, yeah. And then everyone gets their little death, death scene, like, peace out speech. That was, uh, it was, it was kind of fun. I made some notes about it. Oh, I just wrote lots of cringy deaths. <laughs> <laughs> what right? about the first cringy death, the grandpa? The yeah. grandpa, yeah. Less that elevator shaft. They gave him time though. They gave him like a moment to die with maybe kind of dignity. Yeah, and apparently that was in. I didn't register when I was watching it, but apparently that was in the Shanghai Tower. Uh, yeah. In mm. yep. I wish they'd done more with like the ruins of uh of China, but uh. There was, like, you got a few views of, like, the Pudong skyline and snow, which I guess was kind of cool, but uh, mm. it wasn't too much. It was mostly, like, iced over and then, like, blasted through with that uh, machine gun, which yeah. <laughs> was one of the goofier shots, I thought. What other, There's, like, also, there's going back to classics and stealing from 2001 with the, like, red-eye computer thing. Oh, yeah. yeah, Moss is an asshole. I wrote yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. Moss I wrote, <laughs> I wrote in my notes on the CCP. <laughs> <laughs> because Moss is fundamentally doesn't care about ordinary people and only cares about his long-term plan and is, you know, a real a real technocrat at heart. Yeah. So, uh, I... Yeah, Molotov, though. Moss. But that's what um, I thought was... I thought that was so strange at the end, though, because I thought, like, if this computer truly 
cares for the greater good only, why would it not kill itself and all of the astronauts to save the people on the planet if that's a thing that would work? Maybe it's well, like the Israelis predicted zero percent chance that that would be yeah, successful. Because of the Israeli scientists. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> this is exactly why. Uh, but uh, if you think about it, Wu Jing, literally all he was doing was just like being mad at a computer and like a little. <laughs> Where he really didn't get much action. He stayed in that damn space station the entire time. Yeah. I mean, that was kind of how it ended up being filmed, though. Like, I, the Wu Jing parts were filmed after production for the rest of the movie, and it was literally oh, just in I that one room. Like, seven months later, they didn't even know it was going to be Wu Jing when they were filming it originally. That but rules. there'll be more about that <laughs> in the rest of the episode. But well, uh, he killed his Russian friend. That was a thing. He did. Kill he did. The Russian caricature. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not Russian, but I was slightly offended by that. I am Russian. I was like, oh, nice. I guess we get a shout out for having gone to space a while back. What saves it is that his Russian friend is, you know, characteristically an alcoholic and brought some. <laughs> well, that's the only reason he oh. could blow up Moss, right? The yeah. Russian saved the day again. Yeah. Saved Earth again. The, you know, vodka. At right. But where was he getting that? Where did he get that vodka? Because he would have had to bring it with him. Yeah, he was saving it for or his make it. service. Yeah, I, I think yeah. His, his friend gave it to him or something. Alright. I'll buy but, it. Like, on the point of Wu Jing just not doing all that much, it, that's kind of weird for a Wu Jing performance. And I think the part that, of the movie that's not the visuals that really works for me is... I think Wu Jing's acting in this is actually surprisingly good. He's always kind of like charming when he's hitting someone, but like when he's not hitting someone, I think it still works. And I was impressed by that. That worked for me. It could have been much worse, and he he did mm. he did good with that uh, admittedly confined role. Um, yeah, literally confined. <laughs> literally confined. I uh, yeah, he's fine. I mean, yeah, you could forget from time to time that he was literally just acting in probably a green against a green screen or in a, a set. The entire time. I guess he gets to mm. float around when he's a... What do they do? He and Makarov have to go to the outside of the satellite to uh, get into the central command station or something. Mm-hmm. And then Makarov, like, dies the death that's truly... That is literally my worst nightmare. My worst nightmare is floating, floating off. In, in endless space uh, while you suffocate. God. And that's what happens to Makarov. And yeah. I was very triggered by that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, Good thing you didn't see Gravity, I guess. Oh, oh yeah, yeah true. Uh, if it was anything like that, I'm not watching that film. It's all that. It's oh, too much no. that. Oh, hell no. <laughs> that is 100% my worst nightmare. I was like, oh, no, is Makarov going to float off into endless space and slowly asphyxiate? And guess what he did? <laughs> <laughs> I think on the subject of somebody floating out into space, I think that would be like the best end of SpaceX, though. If Elon Musk just... <laughs> Oh, <laughs> I don't know why that just came up oh. in my head, but that's a pleasant image. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Do, do we want to take any of the movie's like themes seriously, or is it not worth it? Well, it felt like it was almost environmental in the beginning, and then it turned out that it was just because the sun was exploding, so it had nothing to do with anything. It's not our fault the sun is exploding in this movie, yeah. maybe. Yeah. 
Because they started yeah. off by talking about, like, oh, we treated the planet like shit, and now it's, everything's terrible, but then it turned out to be because the sun was just exploding, which had absolutely nothing to do with anything we were doing on Earth. Right, right. Yeah, that's a poor decision <laughs> that I chose to ignore two times. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's a whole lot of plotting things that I was giving this movie a pass on. Like, for instance, yeah. I noticed this in the, like, TV rewatch. The, like, relationship with the the adopted sister isn't mm. really explained until, Super like, strange, yeah. 40 <laughs> minutes into her being on screen. Yeah. Until Grandpa's death. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. And you're like, oh, is that what they were, is that what their relationship was? I was yeah. questioning it the whole time. Yeah. Her so, biggest character uh, yeah. trait was, like, chewing bubblegum, too. Kind of weird. <laughs> that's how they, well, no, that's how they show that she's a little bit sassy and spunky. Like the <laughs> like McConaughey's daughter, I guess. Oh, true. I think she was probably the best part of that movie. Who Murph? Not in, not, uh, not Stellar. Yeah, I thought Matt Damon I, was the best part of that movie. Oh wow, that's a long movie. Matt Damon made it into. <laughs> Wait, Matt Damon is in Interstellar. Yeah, yeah, like he's the badass. Or <laughs> yeah. He tries to kill Matthew McConaughey. Oh wow. Okay, I would actually like to see Matt Damon as a bad guy. That'd be yeah and then they find happening real life roles and then in this carefully researched super scientifically accurate uh space movie they find themselves uh they find their way because of the power of love and that's literally how they find their way in the end of that movie oh, no. <laughs> yeah it's so funny so, cringe. so, cringe. so fucking stupid <laughs> i was just wondering when i was watching this i was wondering what they were planning on doing when they left the hole because they were like, oh, we're going to leave this place, we're going to go deal with this shady character, get some heat suits, and leave. But then, like, where the fuck are you going to go? The entire world is just ice I'm, and shit. Is, is that just, like, a response to, like, we can't do anything in, like, the face of this, of this like, existential threat, let's head kind of towards death? I don't, like, I don't know, maybe that's kind of where my head goes. It didn't feel like they were trying to kill themselves. No, but like no, try to save themselves danger. rather than like absolutely being just you know blown well, I up. I don't know how they were planning on saving themselves, but it was like martyrdom. It was like a typical martyrdom scene. A lot of Are martyrdom about... scenes toward the end. Yeah, yeah, there really were, it which was awesome. I did like, I did totally get like uplifting vibes both time I saw that. <laughs> yeah, just like yeah, Hard like. Enough. You're all gonna die, like, yeah, go the fuck back. And, like, I think the only people who uh, didn't go back in the movie were, like, the Americans, right? Like, they on screen didn't go back. Of course. In the, in Wandering Earth. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I was, there was a very conspicuous absence of Americans. Yeah. Yeah. And Mike Sway, the guy who plays the Australian Chinese, is American Chinese, but he was saying, like, he wasn't sure why they made him Australian, but, like, he thinks it's because they were trying to avoid portraying Americans in the movie. Well, and that his character, the, uh, kind of the foreign sidekick is kind of an idiot, right? And also <laughs> possibly a rapist? They, they, yeah. They, I, I, like, <laughs> bad Harpo Marx vibes. So in the theaters, the subtitles called him, I think, a Chinaman? Yeah. What? Really? Yep. <laughs> it was so weird. It was so strange. That's cool. <laughs> but, it, but the moment he's on camera saying he's like a Melbourne kid, I 
think Andrew and I instantly just look at each other like this guy's got to be on the we show. Get I mean, this guy. <laughs> yeah, he was. Uh, he has that really heavy Beijing accent that all foreigners who have really good Chinese have, um, <laughs> which is very distracting. Um, but uh, yeah, no, he uh, he was funny. Yeah, there's, like, one shot that I thought was actually really clever was when they're, like, it's literally a two-second shot, but when they're in the little jail block, mm-hmm. he's just kind of playing golf with a flashlight, and I thought that looked kind of cool. Oh, I didn't even notice that. <laughs> yeah. It was, like, uncharacteristic. Like, the rest of the movie didn't have anything like that. The first half hour was such a slog that I was I was probably blanking out, like, every... I'm just trying to like think through the logic of this movie now. Like, I'm just wondering why they didn't do what Interstellar was doing and take ships that carried everything off the planet. Why are they taking the entire planet? Because they can, dude. I mean, everything's. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what did they do in Interstellar? They the idea was they were sending out like scouting ships to find a, a planet that they could ha- like move well, everybody to. They did send to. like Wu Jing and his crew to like find the hospitable. Solar system, dude. Was I think he was just pointing the way. Yeah. Oh. Oh, so yeah. this is interesting. There was actually a lot. I saw a few articles that came out around the time of Wandering Earth about why they insist on hauling the whole ass Earth with them, and yeah. uh, they said it's a lot of people said it's related to like the Chinese um, people having like a innately strong attachment to their homeland uh like stronger than other uh nationalities around the world and um i didn't really buy it but i did see quite a few takes that were like about you know the five thousand years of history and china just um unwillingness to abandon the homeland they couldn't just like rip the like country out of the the earth no the earth (laughs) became the middle kingdom the middle kingdom of like the entire universe basically yeah there is a middle kingdom on things that I thought were good, I thought the music was actually kind of good. I was using it as, like, work music for the last couple of days, just because it's <laughs> sort of mindless, like, electronic music. And it's on Spotify. Yeah. Is it? Oh, is it? Huh. It's great. There's a lot of it. Music. Yeah. I have a few thoughts about, uh, there were just a few things I noticed. Uh, so I was very interested, because you know how, like, blockbusters, they always need to have, like, a slight sense of humor, uh, mm-hmm. like, I guess lighten what's innately kind of really intense concept. Unless um, they're Operation Red Sea. Unless they're Operation Red Sea. And I thought this one was pretty... I couldn't tell how... Uh, because, like, things that are set in the apocalyptic future, they'll always have kind of cheeky throwbacks to, like, what things used to be like. And there was something at the beginning that kind of struck me. And uh, so they're they're above... They're in ba- underground Beijing, which is... I mean, Beijing's already so bleak, and then underground Beijing... Damn. <laughs> they have the fake sunlight they have the like fake oh. outside scene coming oh, through yeah. the classroom window. yeah which by and... the way Chinese education is exactly the same in this post-apocalyptic <laughs> still just the most brutal uh grueling thing uh but in the so they're he escape uh sets his sister loose and they're they're going they're hanging out in underground beijing and there's this propaganda poster it's um that looks exactly like the propaganda posters you see in china it's the the red banner with the white text i don't know if you guys notice i guess there's no reason why you notice it but it really struck me because you these are have any of you guys ever been to china Nope. <laughs> no, not yet. So around China, the one of the things that will look exactly the same, literally wherever you go in China, 
small towns in the far west and the east coast, just everywhere. And it's kind of one of the main uh, signs of the CCP's just extremely thorough and all-encompassing reach is these propaganda posters, which will, uh, they're always read and they're always in white text. And they will say things like, you know, deep in study of Xi Jinping thought in the 19th Party Congress or anything from that to, you know, beware of bandits. But it's, it always looks exactly the same. And they had one of these in the underground Beijing city, and it said, uh, It was like, today you're um, just a, a step closer to your new home. Um, and I couldn't tell if that was tongue-in-cheek or not. That seems to like fit in with the rhetoric of the movie of we're moving the planet to... I think like at the start of the movie, there's like... Maybe it's narration giving you context, but it's like... And so Earth set off on its long journey to find its new home. So I think that might just be the rhetoric of the movie, not even of like a of the, you know, government in the movie as a joke. You know what? Xi Jinping was probably alive during this movie. I mean, <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> like still he's still oh, there. He's still in power, yeah. Yeah. So 100% he's never leaving. <laughs> Because it suggests that the CCP is still in power and that they still have the exact same tactics, right, of mm -hmm. this of, um, just all penetrating propaganda. But I was because if it is kind of a joke saying like, oh, in 2061, the CCP is still around and they're still putting up these dumbass propaganda, <laughs> then that is kind of a little bit subversive. But if it's completely in earnest, then that's like really creepy. So <laughs> Good content. Like, See, we wouldn't catch that. Yeah, that really, that struck me. Um, and so I just wanted to point that out. And uh, no one cared. Oh, sorry. I'm just going through my notes. Yeah, I wrote, oh, no one cared yeah. about the sun. They only cared about a thing called money. I guess that's something a character. <laughs> yeah, about. yeah. Thinking oh, yeah. about Shanghai in the past, the grandfather says that, right? Yeah. And he about food. Yeah. Oh, insisting, this was interesting. Insisting the transporters can't be public property. Oh, so Yeah transporters being publicly owned and uh that was interesting because everything in china is privatized now little tags on the map look like dog shit i was really mad about that uh, <laughs> there will be a day when ice turns into water i thought that was kind of profound now that you say it <laughs> yeah now that we think about it <laughs> uh japanese people commit suicide. oh yeah there was a little dig at japanese people <laughs> And how much they love to commit suicide. <laughs> <laughs> I totally. I either. That was that was. Yeah, I'm not specifically uh, Japanese people in that car when they the two of them shot themselves in the head. I think it was oh, because they say it, it was. was oh my like, god. Miso soup. <laughs> oh, that's kind of funny. Though. Wow. Oh god. <laughs> that's so fucked. <laughs> because Chinese Damn, people love to roast them. Japanese people for like all of their like honor stuff. Uh, so I'm. <laughs> That was funny. But then the Japanese people came through at the end, or at least one rescue unit of Japanese people. Yeah. We're waiting on the next installment in the Detective Chinatown series for the, the Japanese digs. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I, I like that. I, I always like a nice dig at, at the Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, there are no That's Koreans the, in this movie. <laughs> no, no Koreans. Not even North. Not even more. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, but there's weird no. There were um, Indians though, with funny accents. Indians, yeah. Uh, Indonesians or Malaysians, I guess. Because Sulawesi is in Borneo. 
Mm-hmm. So I guess that's where they're from. What is, I wrote, what is everyone pushing? Oh yeah, because when the rescue units show up, they're all pushing. What are they pushing? I don't, I don't even remember I don't, that. I don't remember this. <laughs> everyone oh, has it was, it was to... something. It was something to do with the core, I think. Like that's it was like jammed core. or something and they needed, I guess, like a thousand more people to push something. It was, you know. <laughs> so it, the I, more I we talk about it, the less about this you know, movie, amazing though, right? this is I think it's, me, so. it's, it's not about the details, right? It's it literally isn't. just about huge shots of Earth floating through space with dots coming out of it. And the camaraderie. And witching. And camaraderie. You're right. I mean, yeah. if well, you I break think... this movie into parts, it's not as good as, you know, I want it to be. But that <laughs> overarching message is nice, I think. Well, I felt like I felt like that camaraderie was a big thing for making the first part of it uninteresting, though, because for a lot of this movie, you're just seeing like, oh, this is one team fixing one of these cores. Yeah, yeah. And then, and yeah. Uncompelling in that team, which isn't their fault. It's just they didn't really. No, they were just one cog in a very large machine of everybody fixing these things. And they're all in spacesuits too, so it's like they're all just. Yeah. Clunk- and this like snowy landscape and it's, you can, it's like hard to tell people apart because of the space suits and it's like um or sorry thermal suits i guess yeah right. yeah, yeah. The, were you guys like irrationally cool. angry when that pla woman blew up the core for no reason yeah two what? people died for that core <laughs> yeah no i mean like <laughs> shooting up that core maybe wasn't the best idea i don't know oh i didn't even realize i'd rage quit <laughs> I was really, I was really struggling to follow what was going on with the cores, and I just didn't care enough to try to figure it out. Yeah, See, I, I, I think we had, a, I think one. we had a similar um, approach to the movie. We just kind of didn't give a shit about the details and looked for the like trying yeah. to be blown away by it. But like, yeah. but like, I, I think both of this, I think any successful approach to this movie will ignore the like details of it. Absolutely. <laughs> Just a beautiful way to approach art. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you stand as far away as you can from it. <laughs> if the mat is on one side stand. of the park, go to the far side of the park. Yeah, that's, that's so true, guys. <laughs> Thanks to Lauren Teixeira. Here's our interview with Mike Sway, one of the stars of Wandering Earth. Well, I was born in Michigan, mm-hmm. Ann Arbor, Michigan, and after I was, I turned seven, my mom thought that I should uh, learn Chinese as well, not um, uh, completely forget or overlook my dad's background. So I came to China for seven or eight years, and then. Uh, she thought that was enough of China by the time I was 15 and uh, randomly picked a different city for me to, you know, continue to finish finish school. So that was in Wisconsin. These two cities were basically uh, very similar. Yeah. I guess, uh, you know, my, my mom's primary concern was gun control and safety. <laughs> <laughs> I saw on your Instagram that you have a sister who lives in the U.S. now. Yep. What do you think it was about, uh, the, you know, what you two were interested in that brought her to the U.S. side and you to China? Well, I mean, China's a hard place to, like, really ground yourself in if 
you don't have a career or something that's really long-term sustainable. I'd say a few years ago, like five to 10 years ago, people would choose to, you know, give teaching English or, you know, doing all sorts of different part-time jobs as an option to, uh, you know, trying to, you know, stay and live a cheaper lifestyle in China. But, you know, with the living environment, the smog, the pollution, the slightly lower pay, if you don't really have a career or a long-term hustle to uh, a passion, um, it's a hard place to really uh, fall in love with. So uh, New York's a lot easier to, yeah. you know, just be a part of. So was entertainment what brought you back there after high school? Well, actually, uh, so after high school, I wasn't accepted to any good colleges because I kind of just flunked my senior year. So all my friends were going to pretty good state-run colleges, University of Wisconsin, Mass, and University mm-hmm. of Minnesota, and stuff like that. And I was going to go to a small school in Milwaukee, which didn't sound super exciting to me. So subconsciously, I wasn't excited to start college. I I knew I probably was going to lose my mind. Yeah. And try to be what's that? Uh, what's what's that road trip movie? Um where the dude's been in college for like seven years. The National Lampoon with uh, Ryan Reynolds. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, he, Van Wilder? He's been, yeah, 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 Van Wilder, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so that's that's why I thought college was going to be like for me. So subconsciously, I didn't really want to go. And I came to China, and I was offered a few appearances on TV shows, and I thought that I was going to blow up right yeah. away after my first appearance, but, you know, <laughs> it wasn't that easy. I saw that a lot of those were, like, game shows. Had you had any experience on sets or anything like that? No, no, never. My, my first show was, was, I think it was a game show. You know, I, was, I wasn't really a contestant, more just like a guest on the show, and there were four or five different people you know, say singers or, or you know, just kind of part-time entertainers. And I was just supposedly this exchange student. That's what they labeled me as. And they're like, all right, so, you know, you guys all seem interesting and funny now. What talents do you have? And I was like, I think I can dance to Usher. So <laughs> put on some uh, Ludacris and the uh, Lil John. And so that was my first TV appearance. It was pretty bad looking back at it. Um, and then I saw that they uh, starred their own version of American Idol. And I went and auditioned for that. And I was in that competition for a couple months and got into, you know, the top 100 of the nation. And I thought I was going to really get into showbiz after that, but I was wrong again. <laughs> so... Yeah. You eventually blew up with a viral video, right? Yeah. yeah. Could you yeah, that describe was, uh, that and how that happened? Well, by the time I was 24, my dad was sick of me, um, literally sick of me, because he and I would meet up. I, I lived by myself, but we would sometimes meet up every once a month. And I remember he, he'd say something like, so being anywhere around 25 in his eyes, you're already rounding up to 30 years old. <laughs> so, so I remember me being like 23 and a half or 24. 
and him saying him saying something like, Michael, you're almost thirty and your pants are still sagged. <laughs> so he thought I was pretty useless. So he used his connections and somehow landed me a role in a in a Chinese T V series. And that year I had a few roles. I played a small role in a movie, made three thousand dollars, you know over two months of shooting period and you know i thought i was going to blow up after that year but you know obviously not and so 2010 2011 were two years where i saw no acting work and i learned how to do a little emceeing and whatnot and Mm -hmm. then my friend and i just started to mess around with uh, online videos you know youtube videos and, and stuff like that and he was a small celebrity himself, a singer. And uh, I realized that on my Chinese Twitter, which is Weibo, I got some of his fans uh, to follow me. And by our third video, the third time we were going to collab, I decided to do something of my own. And uh, his advice was just do whatever you think you're good at and whatever you think will blow up. It was really simple. Like, don't do what's interesting. Don't try to do anything but deep. Do what you're good at. And I was like, oh, you mean rap? He's <laughs> like, no, you're good, you're good with languages. So, uh, you know, do accents. And so I uh, did 12 different characters all in one scene, you know, people from different countries, backgrounds. Japanese people speak English and Chinese. And uh, the French person uh, speaking English and Chinese, uh, and, uh, the Hong Kong, the Hong Kong, uh, you know, all very stereotypical. But Chinese people haven't seen that form of uh, comedy much. I mean, really playing with stereotypes, even though in, in the U.S. it's politically incorrect. Yeah. Over here, you know, people could still accept it and were still surprised by it and luckily i spent a little money basically uh you know how instagram celebrities or or people with large following do promos and shout outs yeah so i uh, purchased a couple from some i'd say large uh, content accounts and i spent about seven or eight hundred bucks and after the first account shared the video it basically blew up and overnight I had two hundred thousand followers and two hundred thousand reposts. I remember I was emceeing gigs for four hundred bucks a pop and uh my first appearance after the video I did not have an agent then but I uh managed to get like four thousand dollars so that was that was the come up. Yeah. <laughs> What did yeah. your friends in the U.S. think of that when it when it first blew up? Some friends who paid attention to, uh, uh, who always kept an eye on what was happening in, in Asian culture in, in China, obviously read about it. Like, oh, suddenly this American guy, Chinese-American guy goes viral. And, you know, obviously they pay attention to it. Some were really happy for me. Some really felt the effects firsthand because, you know, they were either still going to school or working firsthand with Chinese people living in America. And they would hear Chinese people discuss the video and, you know, some 
friends, one of my best friends would always go and say, Hey, you know, Mike, uh, yeah, watch, watch me FaceTime him right now. <laughs> so so they, they definitely, they were happy and they were, they were, they were having fun with it. And even you know, this recent movie, Wrong and Earth, um, all my buddies FaceTimed me before the movie started in a fully packed uh, movie theater in Chicago and said, Hey, this is Mike Sway, Nihao Ma. <laughs> and people were pretty excited about that. I saw one of the things that came out of that video was that you were in a musical with Stefan Marbury. Is that? Yeah, that was, that was one of the very many things. Was that I weird? Mean, in China, what was it like? Well, first of all, in China, uh, showbiz is a lot more tolerant if you're popular if you have a following you have endless opportunities to enter the business enter the, the movie circle or or become an actual actor like i see guys like logan paul yeah they're not gonna get, get following man i mean they will but no i hope he not, doesn't yet oh yeah yeah, I hope I hope he doesn't because a, I mean, yeah, I look at his inter- internet persona and B, I've met him in person. Like I think it was four years ago before he he was even that big. I know he's young. I know he was probably only twenty four years ago, but cockiest guy ever. And third reason why I hate him is because uh, me being of mixed a mixed background, half Chinese, half American, I thought. Uh, Chloe Bennett from The Shield mm-hmm. um, was like, you know, my type to a T, and she ends up da- dating the dude. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, um, so I I only had a fraction of his following. I had five hundred thousand followers on social media after a month or something like that, and I had lots of different work opportunities. And it started with directors considering me for roles normally playing foreigners Mm. and there were oftentimes very cliche just foreign guys who who were trying to pick up Chinese so I'd put on this really fake uh Chinese accent and speak like you know I had just gotten here it obviously helped that I did have previous acting experience it wasn't just like okay I'm a internet video you know YouTuber trying to playing movies I actually did do it but wasn't recognized before and among all those different opportunities and after playing in a movie with uh, that the director of uh, this recent sci-fi wandering earth so the director of this movie cast me for his last movie called uh, my old classmate so that was actually a big success and kind of kind of made a print on me being a movie actor so after that people were casting me for this uh stefan marbury musical and it was funny because in chinese his name means even horses don't <laughs> pay attention to you so ma bu li. every chinese character every sound can have a different meaning so that's one of the meanings so we did this musical and my character was a aspiring singer who uh, looked up to Stefan Marbury and saw similarities in our careers of like not being able to make it in my home 
in America. So I came to China to pursue a musical career and really looking up to Stefan Marbury and then putting on a concert in the musical. Stefan Marbury actually making an appearance during the last 10 minutes. So it was a a very corny musical and uh, the producers owe me every penny that they haven't given me because they uh, said that it, uh, it, it, it made no money. <laughs> yeah. That sucks. How did the director first come to you with wandering earth? It was six years ago when we met in Beijing and he told me about the role in his, uh, previous movie, my old classmate. Yeah. And really nice guy, genuine, the director Frank Guo, mm. and he's telling me about this concept. Eventually, the movie, his previous movie, became just a teen love story about an early 30s white collar worker who uh, immigrated to the states and uh, was thinking about his his love from 10 years ago. And I was the the enemy in the love triangle, and so I played a role where I was the second lead. And he wanted to originally shoot this love story like Fight Club, like me being uh, oh, Brad yeah. Pitt, Edward Norton's subconscious, yep. battling him. But obviously he didn't have enough money to do all that um, CGI. So instead we made my character a real character who basically just haunted him because during his college years, he didn't actually appreciate the girl that he was going after or that he liked deep inside. So the director thought I was, I looked like the lead guy who's a superstar. And he said, Hey, you know what? I think you'll be a good counterpart to him. And uh, we worked well. I was very supportive of his ideas and concepts. And he told me that he wanted to shoot a sci-fi movie uh, after this one. And, Back then, on my old classmate, the budget was only, it was less than $4 million. And uh, I had no clue what sort of sci-fi he was trying to shoot. I was picturing something like Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. At least $50 million U.S. to film in China. And so that was kind of a joke to my ears <laughs> back then. I mean, obviously, you know, I wished him well, but he said that, he mentioned that first. And then... A couple of years later, he approached me again and called me into his office. And by that time, his office was you know, very big and, and glam. <laughs> Obviously, he made quite a bit of money off of uh, my old classmate. And he showed me like a hundred page PowerPoint of the concept and story behind The Wandering Earth. And I was just kind of blown away. And he told me that my character was the best friend of the main guy and that I would stay alive the whole time. And I was like, Hey, say no more. You know, <laughs> just, just tell me when we shoot. <laughs> was the idea to make him Australian? Was that from Frango or was that from you? Or? Um, I'd say it was probably a political reason just because a having him being half Chinese was kind of crucial to yeah. have me speak Chinese perfectly. But then you know, having him be half American like me in real life would be too easy. So I don't think what's funny is because this movie has uh, caused lots of discussion online 
and people are saying, yeah, people from the south, southern hemisphere actually uh, had to move to the north because uh, there were no underground cities left southern part of the globe and uh i don't think that's the case i think it was more of a political reason just to not <laughs> just yeah. to soften possibly soften america's involvement or appearance in the movie this might be the case i'm guessing mm-hmm. and but by the look of it it might be true because it's surprisingly you see very little of America in the movie. Yeah, that's true. One one interesting thing in it was the I think especially in the space station scene with Wu Jing, yeah. they were speaking. Yeah. Uh, Markov and he were speaking to each other. Markov in Russian, Wu Jing in Chinese. Oh. Is is there anything about that sort of automatically multilingual world that particularly appeals to you? It wouldn't appeal to me because if there was technology that could uh, simultaneously translate what everyone from different backgrounds and languages were saying, then I'd have no market. <laughs> yeah, um, makes sense. Obviously, that time will come when we all have chips in our in our brains and stuff like that. <laughs> but uh, I find it challenging and entertaining to try to pick up different dialects and languages and it it takes time and effort to actually try to understand different languages and cultures and and you actually do benefit and you experience a lot more i mean i speak very very little japanese but it gets me by in japan and just understanding a little bit of the conversation between Japanese people or with Japanese people ordering your own food and understanding the mannerism. It's uh it's very rewarding and having a an earpiece do that for you just seems kinda of boring. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Had you ever been on like a major effects set? Like a set with a lot of special effects? No. No, this is my first time. What was it like? I assume lots of green screens and stuff. Yeah, it was definitely a world-class soundstage in Qingdao. And Man Ba built it, but they're mm-hmm. not operating it anymore. It's probably the best in China right now. And I had gone to Universal in Hollywood and it looked the same from the outside. Obviously, yeah. I think the toilets were still Chinese-style. Mm-hmm. crouching ones <laughs> yeah. so they could improve on that also I think uh, the, the the food, the catering could use some work but besides that everything was very nice and while shooting most of the scenes before going on set I was expecting to just look at green screen all day but we had four sets four studios and each studio would have a different setting like this might be an underground city, like a, the the plaza, the square, and we would film for ten days there, then tear it down, and then move to a second studio the next day with no downtime, and there were no days off. Eventually, we got a day off, probably once every two weeks, just because everyone was so burnt out. But normally, that doesn't happen on Chinese sets. There are no union rules where you get a day or two off a week you just work your ass off yeah and 
so we moved to a second set, you know, it might be the car or the Shanghai center where we shot the elevator scene and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And everything that we interacted with was done by the art department. So it was very realistic. Everything was covered in snow ice effect. Basically the only stuff that was green screened was the background stuff very far away. So during a couple of the car scenes, you can see that our eyesight, the actors are all looking in different spots because we uh, imagined planes going over our head, you know, at different altitudes and cars. I remember looking at uh, the, the military captain who got out of the car. I remember looking at a vehicle about the same height as us. So my eyes were looking really high up mm-hmm. and the main guy, Luchi, was looking at the ground. So I guess uh, we, we still got to learn the art of green screen. I've, I've read that Chinese film sets either are or in the past have been particularly cold. Was that the case on this one too? Oh, no, not no. this one. But yes, they are normally very cold. <laughs> we filmed between late May and late September in Tsingdao, it was hot as balls. <laughs> and I'm sure our outfits would have been great during the winter as well. Uh, so normally yeah. in Hongdian, which is China's Hollywood, in the middle of nowhere outside of Hangzhou, outside of Shanghai, mm-hmm. very far out, I'm, I'm talking four hours out, um, wow. south of the Yangtze River, mm-hmm. There's no heat given to buildings and whatnot. So um, doing movie sets and whatnot, normally you have to bring your your little heaters or or, or personal ACs and whatnot. And it's it's pretty bad. It's it's gruesome. But during Wandering Earth, our only problem was uh, overheat. Like oftentimes our body heat would create so much vapor from under our jackets that our uh, helmets would get fogged up. Well, was there anything else different about this set than the sets you'd been on before, apart from the huge special effects and the heat? The director always emphasized trying to create, I don't even know the English word for this, uh, to create China, China's own movie. I guess it's like the industrialism or, I mean, it's, making movies like clockwork, like, like machinery. He always talks about Hollywood being this big machine that pumps out movies that has everything, all different parts develop different departments and whatnot. And in China, we had no special equipment department, no props department for sci-fi movies. We had little experience doing sound for such a setting for people acting under helmets and whatnot. And, you know, he's just saying the director emphasized that everything was very experimental during Mm -hmm. the shoot, even the costumes and whatnot that were mostly made in New Zealand um, by the Weta workshop. They were very expensive. I heard they were like ranging from 60 to $80,000 an outfit. Just watching the military guys put on these body armor things, it would take them 30 to 45 minutes a day just to put on their costumes and have them assembled on them. 
And basically, after they put on the costumes, they would have to lie there like a corpse and have a pillow under their necks and just pass out and lie like that for 18 hours on end or even sometimes over 20 hours when we were shooting big scenes. And um, the director made sure that the actors could really rest up between scenes. We might go shoot for two and a half hours and do 10 takes. But after that, setting up for the next shot would normally take an hour or so. And we really got time to rest up and, and try to conserve energy. And so he was very professional about trying to conserve every department energy and not just be a tyrant, which yeah. I've seen and uh, been involved in. Or your directors just tell you, you know, you only have four hours of sleep every day and if you're tired just pass out on set and uh food uh, enough food was provided i mean normally in china normally the catering's pretty bad but i i could tell that some of the budget was put into uh actually taking care of everyone on set yeah i mean i, I guess that level of care shows in the final product too yeah i think through a movie you can actually tell through the screen if the chemistry was good. Yeah. And we definitely had good chemistry among everyone, not just the actors, but people working behind the scenes as well. And there were 300 people, I want to say, two to 300 people working on set. And then we had an entire movie teams of 7,000 people, including artists, publishers, and everyone, producers and whatnot, that, uh, made this film possible so i think everyone kind of sacrificed themselves a bit and did it for the team yeah uh, i'm sure it, this sort of film took a lot of time in um post-production how how long was that and what was that period like for you that was actually long i don't think it was that long it took about a year and a half and france the director was rushing until the two days before it actually released. And we were already promoting the movie two months before the premiere and showing people clips of unfinished footage. Oh, Not because we wanted to give people a sneak preview, but because the stuff was actually not finished. <laughs> so I think a year and a half is not that bad. Yeah. I can't imagine anything be that much faster i can't imagine the avengers filming the fifth installment if and probably <laughs> i i expect there to be a fifth one i don't i don't see i don't think they'll huge. stop yeah <laughs> yeah yeah obviously they're gonna say it's the last battle but you know a few of them will stay around and and take smaller contracts and keep the show going just because it's good for everyone's career. Yep. But I doubt, I doubt they shoot in 2019 summer and the movie comes out in 2000. Yeah, for sure. You know, summer. Yeah. So a year and a half was all right. It was also half a year later until we knew who was going to play Weijing's character. Really? Yeah. Yeah. We had no clue who was going to play it. Lots of A-list Chinese stars were hesitant on participating in China's first sci-fi had no clue how well the story was going to relate or connect with the audience. They had no clue how 
awkward or embarrassing the graphics might be. And uh, Wuqing had to actually invest some because they were running out of money. So instead of get, getting paid to work, he, he paid became, to work. Uh, yeah, he became an investor. So good for him. Top two movies in China. Yeah. Both yeah. have him as, as the main face. And uh, so he filmed his part about seven months after we finished. And so I was actually excited to hear that he was going to play the guy in the space station because I knew that after the Wolf Warrior, he was still going to have a huge following. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I just kept doing different acting work. I shot this TV series slash web series in the U.S. for four months in Vegas, a Chinese one with some big names. And uh, that kind of petered out. That was a waste of time. This Chinese crew had lots of money, but they chose this shady, um, very unprofessional crew in L.A. that was blacklisted by SAG. So, yeah, the only the only news I could Google was do not go work on this uh, TV set. So I wasted four months of time on that. I didn't even finish my role. So the year after filming The Wandering Earth was very unproductive for me. And uh, I was contemplating becoming a full-time YouTuber or Yuku-er, Chinese video guy, doing vlogs, doing videos and whatnot. I had no clue that the, uh, the movie was actually going to get this well of a reception. What was it like the first time you saw the final version? Oh, we were already we already had like 3.5 billion in box office. <laughs> I hadn't seen it until two weeks later because I was on the road promoting the movie so so long and being in. Wow. We went to 12 different cities in 12 days, and each city we'd hit up six to eight theaters and go meet the audience and promote the movie and interact with the crowd and whatnot. And I wasn't going to wake up at nine o'clock to go see the movie. (laughs) So I waited until after the entire tour and came back to Beijing and watched it. And uh, I enjoyed it. I thought it was done well. It wasn't an actor's movie. It was a movie where everything served the story, the concept. And we really spread the, I want to say in a basketball analogy, we spread the ball around and everyone contributed. And I think it showed. Do you feel like your life's changed after the movie or in any measurable way? Uh, Yeah, no, I'm uh, definitely a little bit. um, Interestingly or coincidentally, I signed with a management team before the movie came out. And 10 days after that, the director, Frank, had a brief word with me and said, Hey, do you have a, do you have a manager? Do you have an agent? You want to sign with me? (laughs) And I had been waiting for that offer for a long time because going into his big, nice, fancy studio, I was wondering like, Hey man, you know, like I could really be in every one of your movies from now on. (laughs) And, And talking to him, he, he's, really grounded and solid and never really boasts about stuff that he can't guarantee. So 
never explored the, the possibility like, hey, you know, if we ever have a, an agency in the studio, you, you, you should uh, sign on. So I had a team and uh, we definitely started to try to make more happen following the extra attention that I've been getting. And finally, I'm doing some actor stuff, actor promo stuff, shooting commercials and whatnot afterwards, even though I did that after my viral videos. But this time, I have a an agency that's working for me and uh, stuff's on the on the lookup. Yeah. Um, and obviously, it, it's... Uh, and I'm also happy that I've always been kind of tiptoeing between internet celebrity and familiar face in Chinese movies and TV series. So people would recognize me on the street and four times out of 10 people would be like, Hey, I've seen you, I've seen your movies or I've seen your uh, TV show appearances. And then most of the times they'd say, Hey, I've seen your, uh, your vines or yeah. your Instagram videos. And that's not what I think, you know, represent me completely. And right now, having people say, hey, I saw your sci-fi movie, is definitely a better feeling. Yeah. I mean, and it's for, I don't know if it's still, but for a while at least, it was the biggest movie in the world, right? Really? Biggest movie in the world? Yeah. I mean, you know, early in the year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no. That that might be true because there weren't any big blockbusters coming out of Hollywood. Then, yeah, but no, um, it's a it's a huge haul. It's it's a, yeah, it's it's a crazy yeah, global thing. I think. As you, yeah, for a movie that had a budget ten times smaller than a U.S. blockbuster to make, right now we're sitting at four point five billion RMB, which is. 700 yeah. million US. That's that's pretty crazy. And the director said that this was a movie made for China and he wasn't really considering the international market. And he had some shady dude do the English subtitles. And that's <laughs> why he's <laughs> the, sub, the English subtitles has lots of uh, problems to it. And my mom, who's American, was actually kind of ticked off and she's like hey you know this could have been like even bigger internationally if, if the subtitles were done better but hopefully they uh, fix that up uh, when it gets released on uh, netflix yeah yeah so it's gonna be on there anyway um but, thanks uh, so so much for talking to me um we're definitely going to be you know spending the whole episode on wandering earth but are there any other projects mm -hmm. that you want me to mention when i preface this interview uh, no, not really. I mean, just you know, wish me luck and hopefully <laughs> this thing actually uh, allows me to do some promo possibly in the U.S. Hopefully I get to, you know, skip over the period of uh, being a waiter in L.A. and get a shot at uh, making some appearances in Hollywood movies and that way it will... Uh, get my foot in uh american acting as well are, are you looking at like co-productions or anything like that um co-productions are normally uh involve chinese money and b-grade american cast <laughs> yeah so i'd be more interested in i mean 
this franchise has mixed reviews, but stuff like Triple X, mm-hmm. where Vin Diesel cast uh, Chris Wu, this Chinese pop star, because he's so big in China that it just didn't hurt. It was the right business decision to have the biggest Chinese pop star yeah. make a short appearance in his movie. And, you know, that's the type of stuff that I want to have an opportunity to audition for. Yeah. Because I think I won't actually be a liability in the movie and not look like a fish out of water. So, you know, hopefully, I think if I could make an appearance in, you know, a Hollywood production, that would mean I could blow that out of proportion in Chinese media coverage and say, oh, you know, I was I was a, a product of China, China's... Uh, entertainment and i finally made it on the world stage and i must thank the mother country <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm sure chinese people would really appreciate that so that's my big plan cool uh thanks again for yep. talking to me um so. all right well thank you so much and uh good luck with the podcast thanks. and uh keep an eye out for more uh chinese sci-fi movies because they'll be coming out more and more from now on <laughs> All right, lads, I think that just about brings us to the end of this episode. Thanks again to Anna Wu, Lauren Teixeira, and Mike Sway. Our original music comes from Elliot Saltmarsh and Yehuda of Fist with a PH, and our art comes courtesy of Jay Castro. Follow us on Twitter at China Film Pod, like the Uproar in the Studio Facebook page, and maybe even Venmo us at Reza-Sayed with Uproar in your description. All proceeds will go towards harnessing Jupiter's energy in an effort to propel Earth towards a habitable solar system. And if you feel like it, have some thoughts or suggestions, email us at uproarinthestudio, all in one word, at gmail.com. In two weeks, we'll be talking about Wolf Warrior 2. But before we leave you this week, we just want to share some wisdom from the chairman. To read too many books is harmful. We will see you in two weeks. Bye.